I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Whoa! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about Batman, a Batman podcast. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am a podcast. Whoa. Whoa. Hey. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to another Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears about the legendary 1990s cartoon, Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, Police Blimp Ultra. Take your PB to the next level with Police Blimp Ultra. Now guys, this is a very special episode. We have so many great guests and so many great segments. It's jam-packed with everything that makes this show this show. Uh, It's the podcast's one-year anniversary, so I decided to pack in every little bit of everything. We'll be talking about one of the very best episodes of the series, Mad Love, with Arlene Sorkin, the voice of Harley Quinn, as well as Paul Dini, Harley's creator, as well as Chris Tallman, actor, comedian, Batman fan, as well as my mom, the person who created me, or at least gave half of her DNA to me, and you, who gave me none of your DNA, but did give me all of your tweets about Batman last episode. So, without further ado, let's get to it. Excuse me, Justin. Is this the part when we celebrate my birthday? What's that, Kevin Conroy? Bought my robot assistant who looks identical to Batman voice actor Kevin Conroy? Well, it is also my birthday today. I am one year old. I guess that means I'm still a baby. Oh yeah, I guess so. Well, happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. I am a baby robot and I want human air. Happy birthday to me. Yeah, what was that last part about again? Oh, just that for my birthday present, I want a full head of beautiful human hair, Justin. Just like the real Kevin Conroy. Okay, nothing has ever sounded creepier than that sentence. Is it because I'm a baby robot that wants hair, Justin? It is precisely that. Stop, Louie Louie, ding dang dow. Oh, what the heck, you one-year-old robot baby. I'll get you some from the wig store later. Real human hair. Hooray! Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. I'm the baby robot and I'm going to get someone else's hair. Happy anniversary, everybody. Okay, let's move on to... Today's episode, Mad Love. Harley Quinn recounts how she became involved with the Joker in the first place and ultimately how she became Harley Quinn while she's trying to prove her usefulness to the Clown Prince of Crime by trapping Batman herself with a revised version of one of his failed plots, The Death of 1000 Smiles. Original air date, January 16th, 1999, the series finale, story by Paul Dini and Bruce Timm, written by Paul Dini and based on the 1993 comic book special of the same name, created by the two. Directed by Butch Lukic, music by Shirley Walker with animation by Coco and Dong Yang. Featuring Kevin Conroy as Batman, Mark Hamill as the Joker, Arlene Sorkin as Harley Quinn, 
Bob Hastings as Commissioner Gordon, and Suzanne Stone as Dr. Joan Leland. Mad Love may be the best single episode of the new Batman Adventures. It's got all the trappings of a great Batman episode. A plot squarely focused on the tragic background of a fan-favorite character, iconic set-piece battles ranging from the Joker posing as a dentist, to Batman's greatest Houdini-like escape in the history of the show, to a brutal Batman vs. Joker fight on a speeding train. Everybody's in top form in the VO department, but this is really Arlene Sorkin's show. She manages to show us every possible shade of Harley, from the seemingly sensible Dr. Quinzel, to the goofball we love, to a woman facing very adult betrayal, abuse, and confusion. I really think Arlene does a lot with a little, somehow helping us digest a character transformation in 22 minutes without making things feel rushed. I'm sure that's also a testament to the writing, but man, she nails it. Alright, it's time for... Today's fan... Chris Tallman. Chris Tallman is an actor and comedian as well as a huge Batman fan. He currently stars on Nickelodeon's The Thundermans, but you also might know him from Crossballs on Comedy Central, Parks and Recreation, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, amongst many others. Uh, for you podcast nerds, he's a regular on the now-defunct Thrilling Adventure Hour, as well as the not-defunct Paul F. Tompkins show, Spontaneation. I've wanted Chris on the show for a while now, we've been working on it, and it only felt appropriate that once he finally came on board, we should talk about this one since he is such a huge fan of the animated series. Sit down with Chris Tallman. Hi! We've been trying to do this for a while. Yeah, I'm By very trying, excited. I mean, you, you said that you want us to be on the show, and I was like, okay, wait a long time, but I think this is a worthwhile episode. Oh, I think this is... This is why we were waiting. Yeah. I think this is the one. I knew it had to be a good one. It was this or a Clayface episode, and I don't know when I'm going to lock down Ron Perlman, but I am saying when. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it's interesting because I feel like the ones that I was interested in talking to, I feel like this is part of that triumvirate. It was like the Mr. Freeze ones, mm-hmm. or the Clayface ones, or this one, because like they're all, first of all, Paul Dini, yep. but also they're all the most tragic upsetting yeah. pieces of humanity like it's there's they're so good i watched them when they aired and i remember seeing the clayface thing i would i was in college at the time and we would race back to a friend's house um to watch them together because we he was a big comic book nerd too we were like shakespeare and comic book where'd nerds. you go to college university of wisconsin madison the fighting badgers <laughs> Go Badgers, I don't know how they're doing. As opposed to a regular Badger that does not fight. Yeah, the lying down Badgers. Yeah. <laughs> the the um, feeble Badgers. Uh, so we would go back to, his name was Cole Hornaday. We'd go back to Cole's house. And I remember sitting down and each day being like, this show is amazing. And the fact that they kept like the music from the Batman, from the Burton films, but mm-hmm. kind of went more towards a comic book. Like it was just, and I'd never seen like the Bruce Tim art before. So to see that, for the first time was mind blowing, but you get to that Clayface episode. Is it Daggett who pours yeah. the like when they pour the gunk? Oh, down his throat. Well, it's it's kind of in silhouette, it's like yeah. the shadow. I remember going, "This isn't a cartoon anymore. This is some kind of dark man horror movie. This is deeply upsetting." It's a weird horror melodrama. That two parter was just so upsetting oh yeah and it's great because it, it i was like oh it's tragedy mm-hmm. clayface clayface harley quinn mr freeze are not i guess of the three she's the most villainous because she's she kind of chose it rather than right. the other two but like the mr freeze one is so 
Can I swear? Oh, yeah. It's so fucking upsetting in the best way possible. Yeah. Like, you hear, like, the way Michael and Sarah, I think, is the actor. Mm-hmm. Like, the way he plays that, like, oh, yes, I'd kill for that. That thing, you hear that, you're like, oh, I want to be Mr. Freeze. Mm-hmm. I want him to capture every one of those fuckers and kill them. And I want her to come back to life. But she can't ever come back to life. because. No. Off screen, sure. <laughs> mm, oh, yeah. What they call cut, then he takes her out of the tank and everything's fine. How are you doing? <laughs> Nora. Nora. But, like, that performance, it's so great because I feel like actor-wise, it wouldn't necessarily... Like, you would want to emote. You would want him to, like, scream and sob and cry. But the fact that he keeps it in that robotic monotone, it's... Oh, God, it's so good. And I feel like I've talked about this before. Maybe I haven't. But, well, here we are. They, they kept dialing him back in the performance of it. I guess when he originally performed it, they were like, no, just less, less. Mm-hmm. And he was like, really? Yeah, because that's... <laughs> are you sure? Yeah, because you're like, I'm supposed to be, like, not even heartbroken. It's like, I'm, I'm, my heart is breaking right. now to get my wife back. It hasn't, he has, he's not good with it. He hasn't lived with it for 10 years. He's doing this to bring her back. Yeah. yeah so as an actor, you're like, I want to play that thing. And I'm, I bet you those producers are like, oh, I think we got this. If we, and it works so well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I feel like an actor thing you kind of learn as it goes along is that the audience doesn't want to see you sobbing. We're affected as an audience when we see the person fight, the, like we know they're hurting but they're trying to kind of like pretend that they're not. Push through it. Yeah. Because it feels like a more human thing. Yeah. Well, well I guess both are human, but. Well, it's, it's a truer thing. Like mm-hmm. uh, actors want to cry in front of people. Audiences don't want to watch people. Like, That's it, why people hated Spider-Man 3. Oh, well. Because every character cried. <laughs> well, and there's so much great jazz scenes. I mean, that jazz <laughs> piano. Oh, my gosh. And that Hitler cut. Ooh. Oh, you know, when, when Spidey finally used his powers to play piano and do jazz dance, what a great movie. What a bummer, because there are parts of that movie that I think work. Yeah! Like, I really liked The Sandman. Again, tragedy. Yeah, that like, felt like a straight-out-of-Batman the Animated Series mm-hmm. take on a Spider-Man villain, which is kind of weird, because I, I feel like Spider-Man doesn't live in that world as much. No, well, but I think... V- rogues gallery wise spider-man and batman are kind of right up there yeah like just in terms of like the other heroes that have like a stable of identifiable rogues that people know yeah but i was thinking about this today like for the most part the batman villains i mean you've got your clay faces and stuff like that but for the most part the batman villains are people like mm-hmm. they don't, they're not necessarily, you know, there's the penguin and the Joker, like the Joker's physically messed up, but he, he can't fly. You know what I mean? They're sort of matched. Mr. Freeze has a gun. Right. Mm-hmm. Even the craziest villains like Clayface in this, they humanize. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, before he becomes a bunch of shapeshifty goo, we're mm-hmm. going to make him a person. Oh, well, that's what, that's what's so great about this show is yeah. that. And you guys have talked about it so much that it's all character based. It's and it's really and I hadn't thought about it until you guys talked about it on the podcast. But it really is more an exploration of the villains. Yeah, because um, that's why you keep coming back. Well, yeah. that's what people remember. Like oh. they remember Clayface and like honestly, people who don't haven't seen the show since they were a kid or whenever they first saw it. Uh, usually, the first villains they remember are Mister Freeze and Clayface. Mm-hmm. Which, and they're all, yeah, there's this Clayface episode. And it's like, oh, yeah, I guess that really resonated. Oh, for sure. Yeah, um, well, because it's it's not a kid's show. You're watching and go, oh, wait a minute. This is affecting me. I'm 45 years old. This is nuts. Yeah. 
Uh, and then specific to this episode, because how many had Harley been in by this point? Probably, I mean, I, I, maybe a dozen. Yeah. I mean, She's and, been in a lot. And it was always exciting. I feel like I, I like some of the Joker ones without her, but really having her as part of the Joker and with the hyenas, like it kind of like, oh yeah, this is kind of what I want out of my Joker episodes. And they found their version of the Joker, I think, through Harley in a weird way. Yeah. Well, it gives him some... Well, to have him have just on like a pure storytelling level to have someone that he can talk to that isn't essentially Batman so he doesn't have to explain to Batman what's going on right. to, to have the Joker essentially get to just be the Joker and talk to somebody that he's not trying to murder it. although in this episode he does try to kill her yep a shocking number of so times. many times yeah it really is it's uh, I re- I rewatched it again last night and I was like oh I'm physically uncomfortable with the abuse dealt out to her yeah this one is very uncomfortable and i think this is also like when the show became a little bit kiddier too the, like it had skewed into new batman adventures where it was some of it was kiddier some of it was more emotionally interesting mm-hmm. but i think i mean you'll know more from this from talking to people who are actually there it feels as though first of all they when they first did this as a comic book it feels like they said, we really want to tell the story and we'll never get to do it on the show. Right. So let's put it in the comic book. And so then for the show to go, no, no, we can do that. It makes you nervous because you're like, oh, what are they going to sanitize? It is not sanitized. No, they just cut stuff for time. <clears throat> yeah. And I mean, there's sex jokes that rev up your Harley joke and she's in like... <laughs> a teddy. Yeah. Oh, come on, Puddin'. Don't you want to rev up your Harley? Vroom, vroom. The only thing that's different on the TV show is that it's not so sheer. Like right. in the comic book, he, you know, I mean, you don't see her naked body, but you kind of just get more of the silhouette of her figure. Right. But I mean, it's, yeah, it's as sexual as it gets, but also the violence, like the blood she, when she falls, like I'm like all three of them bleed and her and Joker and Batman all bleed in this episode, which is rare for kids TV. I mean, isn't there that old. Uh, Batman animated like they made that drawing as a joke to yeah. show these are all the things we can't do and I'm like other than smoking and I think drugs they're all in this episode it's all happening yeah and, which to me also then also symbolizes oh we know the show's ending mm-hmm. We why not what are they gonna do cancel us yeah and so I think they pulled back on the blood they pulled back on the sex but really you watch it and go oh wow that is the comic book yeah, they got away with so much. Well, the comic book came out, I think, around the same time as Phantasm was released. Okay. So, like, they wrote it way before, I think, 94. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, but then the episode wasn't made or produced or maybe released until 99. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... And it was at the end of that series. There's a couple that come after it that feel very kind of light. Yeah, like Chemistry, which is a weird one that people forget about a lot. Poison Ivy creates a plant... Like a bunch more plant clones, and Bruce Wayne gets married to one of them. Oh, the that's right. Okay. Which I was like, wait, what? He really got married, but he was getting hypnotized, and then they had the judge. I feel I had a really hard time even liking any of the made-up villains, which I would imagine for the people working on the show has got to be so frustrating. Yeah, to kind of find yourself like, really. You'll let me do the terrible trio, but you won't let me do like the the F- Farmer Brown or whatever. Yeah. Cuz I'm like the Farmer Brown one 
of all the made up villains, I think I like the most because it's so like 50 sci fi weirdo. Yeah. But because he's Southern, there's something in my brain that's like, eh, I don't want an Amish bad guy. I don't know what, you know what I mean? You don't want American Gothic come to I, cartoon life? I don't know why. It just doesn't grab me. But I also, like, I never really was able to grab onto any of the new villains. Like, I never really liked Venom from Spider Man. Mm-hmm. I never really grabbed onto Bane for something. I feel like I'm I lo- never locked into Bane either. It's. I don't think it's a great character. I well, th- he's just kind of he, he's a physical threat and he's like a publicity stunt. Yeah, but he wasn't that interesting for a while. I feel like they're all tied in. There's got to be people who've spoken about this at length, but I feel like he's all part of that mid '90s like The Punisher. Yeah, like the the and and so Venom is like the physical embodiment. Like, what if a Spider-Man was really strong? What if he liked to kill? Hey guys, what if somebody? Killed Batman, like that kind of, and now that's like such a crazy, overused, tired, yeah, story. Well, I feel like now we're kind of turning away from and going like, "Hey, remember when they were shiny? They were fun then, huh?" Yeah, it's it's nice to not think about everybody getting mauled all the time. Yeah, which is why I'm fascinated to see what happens now with now that they're bringing uh, Punisher into the Daredevil series. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hope that's good. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering how they're going to treat guns, just given the current gun culture. I'm sure there's going to be some sort of, I don't know, interesting oh. commentary. I would think so. Well, did you watch Jessica Jones? I haven't finished it. Only watched the first two. Oh, never mind then. Then don't say anything. Uh, I will just say that watching this episode made me think a lot about Jessica Jones. Interesting. Just in terms of, I feel like there are uh, some very similar echoes back and forth between the two it feels like there's a lot of cycle of abuse mm-hmm. involved yes I uh, which i that. think is crazy to get away with in a kid's show yes my fault i didn't get the joke and, and also what's interesting about harley quinn because of this is that like she chooses to become who she becomes but it also is such such like a typical abusive relationship that it yeah. like hits real close to home. Oh, it yeah, it, it's it, sad. It, it, I think the first time. I think doesn't he smack her in the dentist's office? <laughs> That's a real gasser, huh, Mister J? I give the punchlines around here. Got it? That happens in the dentist's office, and I've always kind of felt like that's been the secret relationship. I'm always like, Har- he tolerates Harley. He it's kind of fun for him to have a, a partner around. It doesn't hurt to have somebody who's sort of fawning all over you all the time. But I'm like, he like uh, like Max Shrek and Catwoman in, mm-hmm. the, in Batman Returns. I'm like, no, he the first time she she steps over the line for what he considers over the line, he will throw her out a window. Which is what happens at the end of this episode. It reminded me so much of that scene in Batman Returns. Oh, it's cuckoo. And it's because we've spent so much time caring about Harley, it's way more upsetting than when it happens to Selena Kyle yeah. in, in the movie because you're like, oh no! that And then... In the comic book, it's even worse. In the TV show, they kind of immediately cut to her and they kind of show her moving it. In the comic book, I think it's Montoya, it's like running up and there's a dumpster and you just see this hand in a pool of blood and you yeah. see Montoya go, oh no, get help. And you're like, holy shit. Yeah. She's, if she's not dead, it ain't, that's not good. Well, there's been no serious episode about Harley. 
yeah. in the series until this point. Mm-hmm. And her, oh. her origin's really, I think, a really interesting origin, too. And it goes exactly to what you said. The fact that it's her picking this um, and, like, that she doesn't have powers or anything like that. So that she really is just, nope, I'm just fucking crazy for this guy. Yeah, and I think that makes her interesting and gives her agency even though she's being she's kind of a manipulated person too. Yeah, it's like she's, a weird back and yeah, forth. Yeah, it is, but I mean, I feel like they did a great job of setting her up as and I think it's again in the comic book because they have those extra little scenes, it's even more I feel like clearly set yeah. up. But she comes in with she becomes the doctor with the specific intention of I'm going to take advantage of yeah. all these damaged people and I'm going to become Oprah. Right. She wants to be the pop psychologist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, yeah. So she, so you're kind of like, uh oh. In the comic, doesn't she seduce like a teacher for a yes. Like there's like slight, like there's like she goes to Gotham University. Oh, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's a comic book. So they pull it back a little bit. But yeah, the, basically it is, the, the setup is, and it's her sort of like film noir narrating it like, uh, you know, I went to school and I knew that uh, I wasn't going to get good grades. And they show her like carrying a test and it says D minus and a note from the professor right. see me. And then just two little frames, low angle. And you see her like in her because she's a gymnast at school. They make a point of showing her doing gymnastics. Which is great. I love that too. Yeah. Oh, it's perfect. You see that one, you're like, I get it. Okay. Cool. This all makes sense. This all makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they, they show a shot of the professor kind of looking sternly at her as she comes in. And then the next shot is the reverse of her now walking out. And like his shirt's all ruffled and there's smooch marks. And I'm like, oh, she just slept with him. Yeah. Like, And you're like, oh, gosh. This is way darker than I'm prepared for in my Batman comic book. We'll be back with more Chris in just a second, but first... A word from our sponsor. Aw, gee. This normal police blimp sure is fine. Yeah, I think it's neat or whatever. But... I I wish wish it it were were cooler. Like ultra cool? I guess so. Then it sounds like you just graduated from police blimp too. Police Blimp Ultra. Police Blimp Ultra? Police Blimp Ultra, also known as PB Ultra. What's that? What's that? No, seriously, what is a Police Blimp Ultra? Police Blimp Ultra, also known as the P Blimp Ultra, is the next step in airborne protective vehicle evolution. Whoa! Whoa is right. But what makes it different from my regular police blimp? A regular police blimp, also known as a plain old PB, only has one balloon. Whereas the police blimp ultra, also known as the police B ultra, has two balloons, a grabber claw, a bucket of non-toxic green slime, and real lights and sound. Double whoa! Double woe is right. Now we're floating with Ultra. That's Police Blimp Ultra, also known as PBN Ultra to you. But you don't know me. Why take my word for it? Take it from your best friend. Hey, I'm your best friend. I much prefer the sleek and insanely decorated Police Blimp Ultra to the regular model. Would I lie to you? Of course I wouldn't. I'm your best friend. Still not convinced? What about man's best friend? Or woman's best friend? That's right, it's the same dog. And they both want you to say no to boring blimps and get yourself a Police Blimp Ultra. Also known as Plimp Blimp PB Ultra Blump Plimp Skimp Ultra. Police Blimp Ultra! It's just better. Available wherever Police Blimp Ultras, a.k.a. PB Ultra, a.k.a. P Blimp Ultra, a.k.a. Police B Ultra, a.k.a. PB and Ultra, a.k.a. Plimp Blimp PB Ultra Blump Plimp Skimp Ultras are sold. Police Blimp Ultra. 
jumped around, but... Uh, Do you want to talk through the episode? Yeah, let's talk through it. So, we start out in that dental office, which I think is one of my favorite, you know, mini, like, Joker cold opens. Oh, it's great. Well, and also it starts with the commissioner, who, you know, how many times do you kind of get him by himself? Yeah. I like also that it's him kind of just muttering, like, I hate going Seeing him as a real person is always fun. Oh, it's great. I don't mind saying I really hate these checkups. If it weren't part of the police physical, I wouldn't be here at all. Oh, come now, Commissioner. What in this miserable world is more beautiful than a nice big smile? <laughs> and the use of, like, Mark Hamill playing it straight when he's back turned. Because, again, that's another thing that they can do in the comics that's harder to do in the animated thing is because when you're flipping the page, you just see a word balloon. You right. don't know who that is, whereas, like... When you're watching the cartoon, as soon as you hear it, you're like, oh boy, that's Joker. Because you can you can tell... Even what... him doing a fake voice as the Joker is going to be the Joker. Yeah, because you're like, oh, that's, that's Luke Skywalker. <clears throat> uh, who says, may the floss be with you? How? <laughs> I jumped out of my chair. Oh, that's I so... forgot that he says that. I didn't, I didn't remember until last night. I was like, <laughs> holy cow. And that's not in the, the book. No, it's not. Oh my gosh, what a great little... Dis- there you go, buddy. May the floss be with you. Because <laughs> when I first heard it, I didn't even connect it at first. I was like, why did they? Oh, I mean, that's a weird Joker joke. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. Of course. Oh, he must have, like, when he got the page for that, he must have been like, hey, <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks, fellas. This is fun. Hey, it's me. It's me, Mark Hamill. <laughs> You know, I sound like Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> uh, you sound, that sounds like Jerry Seinfeld. I don't think that's Mark Hamill. Uh, let's also note that uh, the Joker has, he's gone into painstaking detail to redecorate the front door to say Dr. <laughs> J. Recco. I love that. I, me too. Because it's like just, I don't know, like, have you ever seen stuff sometimes like on the internet or they'll say like, hey, stare at these weird letters for a while and your brain starts assembling them. So as the camera kind of scrolls past that, my brain's like, that doesn't say Joker, but why Why is my brain making that say but Joker? But you're so quickly moving through it that it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, it's great. Yeah, uh, all that stuff. And that fight, like her coming in with like the confetti rope. And yeah, the, and the oh, gas and everything. I love all that stuff. Well, and it's and it's fun to hear. Also, the Joker is a loser in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he becomes like a different kind of loser in that he's, you know, an abusive <laughs> on-screen abusive person. Yeah. But uh, the fact that, like, Batman's just making fun of him the whole time. There are some good jabs where it's like, you're sloppy. It was an easy hint, Joker. Sloppy. Predictable. You're losing your edge. Excuse me, but the teeth were my idea. So's this! <laughs> oh, and then coming, like, immediately after that dentist scene, you're sort of back at the Joker lair and watching him, like, pissed sort of yes. like, like a kid taking a math test just sitting there writing out his plan you never see that with him I, no I think it's so fun yeah well it also so annoyed that he's ignoring his beautiful girlfriend who is basically saying come come talk to me come play with me like yes that and it, like you said that rev up your harley gag i'm like no N- no because <laughs> it's at that point that's Saturday morning, right? Yeah. Batman Adventures is full yep. on set. Because originally, I think of it as more like an afternoon, and then it ran at night sometimes too, mm-hmm. right? I think in the beginning. Yeah, so this is now Saturday morning, and it's a 
beautiful woman in a teddy saying, come rev up your Harley. I was like, that's not. Vroom, vroom on all fours. It's insane. Oh, yeah. What I love about that is uh, that it's like a very sexual thing. And then she makes like a goofy cross-eyed face. And I'm like, that's Harley Quinn. Mm -hmm. Like, she's like weirdly sexual, but also like such a vaudevillian comedian. (laughs) Oh, and... It speaks so much to Arlene Sorkin's performance in this. Like, they she's gave so her... Good. She's great all the time, but this episode, like, they gave her... The way she slides in, like, one sentence out of the Harley voice into the Harleen Quinzel, the very straight yeah. voice, and back and forth. Like, that's... Acting-wise, that's a dream to get to actually show the character thinking like yeah, that. Yeah, she had so much range in this episode. You can't deny there's an element of glamour to these super criminals. Stop it! You're Oh, I mean, she gets to do. She gets to be powerful. She trumps the Joker. Like that's the whole thing. Like because he's a jerk to her, she takes over and says, "I'll, I'll." But she thinks she's helping him. That's the worst. That's the saddest part is that like even when she has all the facts in front of her, Mm -hmm. she still goes back to him. And you know, this is slightly leaping ahead. Yeah, but like, it really rattles me. How much her plan is the mirror of the Joker's fake origin story. There was only one time I ever saw Dad really happy. He took me to the circus when I was seven. I still remember the clowns running around, dropping their pants. (laughs) My old man laughed so hard, I thought he'd bust a gut. So the very next night, I ran out to meet him with his best Sunday pants around my ankles. Hi, Dad! Look at me! Zoop! I took a big pratfall and tore the crotch clean out of his pants! (laughs) (laughs) And then he broke my nose. But hey, that's the downside of comedy. You're always taking shots from folks who just don't get the joke. Like my dad. Or Batman. You know, my dad used to beat me. So right. this one time I dressed up and I like tried to like uh, make him laugh. And I feel like she does the thing. She does the same thing. She's like, oh, he, the Joker beat me. I know. I'll, uh, I'll use the trick and I'll, you know, dress up that dummy like the Joker. She does the right, same thing. Right, she does the same thing to Batman. Like she, and when I... <laughs> It's, to it's try and make gross. him... Yeah. Because he... Tra- you know, like, it's the most vulnerable we've seen the Joker, and then it's a lie. And it's the most vulnerable we sort of see her in this episode is her sending... You know, like, taking off the mask. She's like, it's not funny anymore. I finally realize this isn't funny anymore. I can help you get him if you promise me protection. Yeah, I bought into it. I remember oh, the first time I was like... Absolutely. She's finally done with him. Great. And she was just repeating the abusive tactics that he used on her, which is so upsetting. Oh, it's... Uh, yeah. I mean, that's I, that's why I feel like it's such a powerful episode is because like Batman or like Harley or never seen it before, like as a human being, you watch this and just go, ooh, this is... It cuts very deep. And you love her. She's like yeah. such a good, likable character. Oh yeah, I mean that's. I feel like that's always been what I loved about Batman in general. Is like you, I love the characters. I love. I've always identified so strong with Batman that to then suddenly like be watching this episode and kind of, I'm like, 
as an audience member, I kind of like want to push him out of the way and go, no, 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 dude. Yeah, you're great. But let's, she's doing something very interesting. Yeah. Well, even when he starts laughing creepily at the end, she's oh. like, I don't like that. Stop it. Like, oh. you're creeping me out. <laughs> I've never seen you laugh before. I don't think I like it. Cut it out. You're giving me the creeps. You little fool. Yeah. And I'm like, You're creeped out by it as an audience member, and he's the hero of the show. <laughs> oh, it's great. Well, I like that, especially in the animated show, they would do touches like that to kind of remind you that, like, oh, that's right. The reason Bruce Wayne dresses up like this is because he knows how to scare the living shit out of these criminals. And like, manipulate people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and like the way, again, jumping to the end, like when, sure. now, when he's, we're towards the end, and now Joker and he are on the train, and the way the, Bat, bat, the way Batman so relishes the saying the pudding yeah. and they cut close on him you're like he knows like oh I knew your massive ego would never allow anyone else the honor of killing me though I have to admit she came a lot closer than you ever did pudding in, in the same way that Batman knew that Joker played Harley Batman's now playing Joker in the same manner like because he knows as soon as I say that thing I'll push him over he's gonna go crazy and that's always something I've wondered about seeing in any version of Batman a straight fight between Batman and Joker I'm like no it's not Joker's never going to win because all he's got is crazy that's you know so he'll have for 10 seconds he'll have like a maniac strength and just he'll do anything to Yeah that fight on the train in the beginning is one of the weird like it's weirdly very brutal like mm-hmm. there's like a punch where like the camera kind of shakes yeah and like a knife you know like he has a switchblade which is yeah. always creepy Oh I, I needles and knives man <laughs> they freak me out it's, I I don't like needles I don't like knives nope. No. Yeah, yeah, you and you watch Batman wins because he unhinges Harley and he unhinges the Joker. Like and Batman kind of rope dopes him. He's just like, "Yeah, go ahead. Go for it." Yeah. At the end of the day, I've been studying karate since my parents were murdered in front of me. So So, bye. See you in the smokestack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and again, in the comic book, they they didn't do it. I thought they would do it for sure in the what anime. In the comic book, and the comic book uh, as he goes down the smokestack, Joker goes, not again! Because <laughs> it echoes back to like him getting thrown into the yes. the Acme Acid Vat. And I was like, oh, I like that. Oh, yeah, there's that moment she was like, why don't you just shoot him afterwards? Oh. Why don't you just shoot him? And then that comes back around. The Joker does, he decides to pull out the gun at the end. Mm-hmm. After, like, you know... Putting Harley down for even suggesting that. There's so many really smart, interesting callbacks. Because in that same moment, too, it's like she... It's like, why don't you shoot him? And and that also is the moment when it tees up the... If you have to explain the joke, yeah. it's, you know, then you're going to get beat. But hey, that's the downside of comedy. You're always taking shots from folks who just don't get the joke. Like my dad. Or Batman. It's gross... The first time when he when he beats her up, and then that he flips it on her this at the end. You've forgotten what I told you a long time ago. One of the painful truths of comedy: you always take shots from folks who just don't get the joke. In the crazy Gotham City aquatic. A piranha oh, club yeah, thing? Yeah, Aquatica. A cocktail lounge on the 40th floor. Like, 
Oh, the, I, I would imagine both for Burton and the people working on the animated series, like some of the most crazy fun has got to be deciding on all just the horrible decisions the people who built and planned Gotham City made. Just like, what? Yeah, don't make a place called Funny Bone for Dog Bones. The Joker's gonna use it as a hideout. Then, then you have the whole Harley flashback. <sighs> Face it, Harl. This stinks. You were certified not so wanted in 12 states and hopelessly in love with a psychopathic clown. At what point did my life go Looney Tunes? Oh, like, which is great. So theatrical. I love so great. Has that, do- has that doctor that sort of walks her into Arkham, has that been, has she been in other Dr. episodes? Dr. Leland. I don't know. I think maybe she has. Uh, the way they, I don't know, just the way they sort of like named her and sort of gave her status over Harley. I was like, I feel like I'm supposed to know who that is. I don't remember specifically. I can't, I, I feel like she's embedded in my brain because of this episode. Right. But I don't know if she's appeared in other. And also too, like in the little sort of like, dolly shots where you see sort of the other inmates like we they very clearly show poison ivy and i love the way that they have harley kind of like even as she's just walking through the first time harley lingers on poison ivy yeah that's in their the first yeah and they, they both clearly go you which i think is amazing it's great uh but all their they show other inmates that i don't I couldn't. I didn't place them as other Batman villains, but there was one guy in particular. Did you spot? He's got dark curly hair and like round glasses, and he's he looked like, like Deanie, like a creepy version of Deanie. That's what I'm wondering because he's licking the glass when he's looking at Harleen Quinzel. And I, I don't like, know if it's supposed to be him, but I feel like in a lot of the episodes they would, you know, as in jokes, draw creepy versions of each other in Arkham. Because I'm hoping it's that. Otherwise, I'm like, if I'm supposed to know that, that's Calendar Man. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Yeah, Easter Egg Calendar Man licks the glass in Gotham in that one episode for one second. <laughs> <laughs> Batman, you weren't there when I licked the glass. What? From for March. Remember? March is glass licking month. Or is it April? Purim. What about Purim? <laughs> Cal- I want to see Jewish Calendar Man. <laughs> I think High we already holidays. have. Yeah, Ephraim Shlomowitz, <laughs> aka Calendar Man. Uh, oh, uh, and there were other ones too at the. When you go back to Arkham after everybody thinks that the Joker might be dead, there's this another similar shot of oh, those in- huddled like yeah. creeps from behind. There was one guy I thought might be Nigma, just because the way the hair was sort of oh, stylized. But they cut front, and I was like, I don't think that's him. I think at this point, Nigma might have been bald too. They're redesigning. Oh. Like he was a bald Riddler with that a hat, was, that was a weird, weird bowler cap. Yeah, the weird. Um, uh, now I'm blanking on the the Kubrick uh, with the... Oh, this is not making any sense. When they redesigned Riddler, uh-huh. I feel like they went kind of clockwork orange. Yes, they did. He does look clockwork orangey. Yeah. Which is a bummer because they never... Not a bummer, but like they didn't even do a Riddler episode. He shows up once or twice as like a cameo. Mm-hmm. I love John Glover. He's I, so good. Oh, he's great. And I know you guys have talked about this on the podcast before too, like... How some people really don't like the redesign. I really loved the, yeah. the more stylized version of it. And things. you're one of the few people who has mentioned that. So I, it's good to talk to you about it. What, what do okay. you like? I like... I think they look scarier. I think Batman, the way they kind of styled him a little more. Like he's even bulkier. He's broader. He's, he's broader. And, but then also like the legs are super thin. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Riddler looks creepy as all get out. And Riddler, for whatever reason, Riddler's one of my favorite characters. So to, for them to give him a little bit of an edge. But I like that version of edgy Riddler as opposed to... What was the... You know what? I think when they did The Batman... He, he had like really long... Yeah. Kind of gothy? Yeah. Well, they, he had like a ponytail and they gave... Every, everybody was like a master of a different kind of martial art. Like the, yeah. Like I didn't... That one did not work for me. I never quite got into... I didn't. I wasn't a huge fan of the designs. Yeah. For me, it's all about the aesthetic. And I yeah. feel like they kind of let... I'm assuming Bruce Tim kind of go, what about Sleeker? Um, like the Scarecrow? That's Scarecrow in, the, in New Batman Adventures trumps either of the other Scarecrows. And Jeffrey Combs, I mean, like, you couldn't get a better guy to play that he's part. He's so good. Oh, he's so good. And, and, and again, you just see that noose around the neck. You're like, that character is... Monster. Yeah, I wanted uh, more of that version of Scarecrow too. I liked, and I also liked the younger that they went younger with the Robin, and they mm-hmm. made him more for whatever reason. Like, yeah, Tim Drake. Yeah, that they went that thing. You got the Nightwing. You got Batgirl. I love that iteration of Batgirl. Yeah, um, I like. I also like that they made Gordon smaller. Yeah, he just looks more. He's older. He's more. You know, he's worn down. Yeah. Like, more... even in the beginning of this episode, I'm like, yeah, this is a guy, of course he doesn't want to go to the dentist. He can barely feed himself. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> like... he, he is a husk of a man. His, yeah. His he... life force has been stolen by every bastard, beagly boy criminal in <laughs> Gotham City. They've literally stolen his soul. Uh, I'm trying to think about other stuff from her origin. I just like the way they draw her. I love, again, the Arlene Sorkin performance, the way she... Um, smarts it up and really lets you know that Harley Quinn is a choice that yes. she isn't a dumb mall because I feel like that that sort of dumb like uh New York kind of Bronxy uh sassy accent like that often like with Jennifer Tilly in Bullets Over Broadway mm-hmm. and even going back to like Singing in the Rain like the girl who kind of talks like I can't stand it. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, oh, she's dumb. I yeah. get it. And I'm like, no, Harley Quinn's not dumb. She's just loud and she's funny. And somehow, like, he unlocks in her. I mean, they even like comment on this. You know, like when I think they cut back from the flashback, or like it's like the flashback within a flashback where she is now being psychoanalyzed by the Joker. Oh, so and good. And like, it's, you know, that transformation, it's such a good transition. And he's like, well, some would say that you are like, you know, led a career oriented life and mm-hmm. therefore you're looking for a little fun and an outlet, you know, because mm-hmm. that's why you love this man. And it's like, well, you're giving us all the answers more so than a lot of the other villains too, mm-hmm. uh, as to how she got to where she is. So of course she's going to like that unlock something. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to be this goofball, but this is a choice. Yeah. And I feel like, Again, it kind of ends up being a lie that the Joker's telling, but it really does make you feel like, oh, he opens up to her. She brings out something in him. He brings out something in her. And it kind of makes you feel like, yeah, this is a partnership in the same way that like a true romantic relationship, like, oh, individually we're good, but together we create something that neither one of us could accomplish. And the worst part is, is that she views it like that and he... Wants to take all the credit, and when she starts to, oh yeah, he's. I mean, he's, he's bitter. And he has contempt for her. I think in, at, at moments, and that's really just hard to watch. That's that moment hard to watch. when I mean, I feel like that happens with him a lot. He never likes when she 
steals his thunder. But the moment when she finds out that he was lying, there's that beautiful shot with like that kind of like gradient. It's just like a weird amorphous background mm-hmm. when Batman's talking, and it's just her kind of like sighing. To oh him. yeah, and he came, and it's the ice show, and then she says, "For me, it was the circus." Circus. Oh yeah. She just kind of like hangs her head. What was it he told that one parole officer? Oh yes. There was only one time I ever saw Dad really happy. He took me to the ice show when I was seven. Circus. He said it was the circus. Yeah, and it hurts so much. I feel like because in that moment, Batman is kind of laughing at her. Like, you're like, I want at that moment, especially for Batman's background and his origin, like, I would like to see a little more sensitivity because I feel like he's always known... In the same way that he kind of relates to like Harvey Dent or Mr. Freeze, he always kind of looks at her and goes like, Harley, come on. This isn't like you don't have to make this choice. Yeah. And like at that moment, he's he's crushing her. Yeah. It's, he and he knows it and he's using that to his advantage. I mean, that that's kind of like one of the nice things when you get to Batman Beyond. I don't know how much you watched. I've seen of some of it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of those, you know, a lot of people in Bruce's life who he was close to hate Bruce. Yeah. And that's why. Because <laughs> he also has that side. I do love, I mean, this is going back even further, uh, but that, uh, the the Joker even being like, the death of Batman needs oh, yeah. to be flawless. Just shoot him? Know this, my sweet. The death of Batman must be nothing less than a masterpiece. The triumph of my sheer comic genius over his ridiculous mask and gadgets. I love that. And I feel like that also is the clue into then why he goes so crazy finally at the end. Because he's sort of said at the beginning, all right, this is it. This is the last one. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that like, I think it gets skipped over because of everything else they want to cover in the story. But like that really, that's a story in and of itself is like the day the Joker finally said, oh no, now it's for keeps. Yeah. Like, oh, because really that's the whole relationship. Batman won't kill him. So the whole thing exists basically as long as the Joker's like, all right, well, I'm going to gut you, but I don't really want you to die. Right, I'm going to self-sabotage myself because I want to keep doing this because this is all I've got. (laughs) Yeah, so for there to be a story where the Joker finally goes, oh no, I'm done. That's it. There's such a gross moment when, because when he storms in and he, you know, after he's like, you've got who, where? You know, because she gets tricked into calling him and he bursts in and he like, you know, has that, it's that horrible shot where like he pulls his hand back and it just pans over. So, like, you miss the actual impact. She goes flying. But you hear the smack. You hear it, and it's hard. Yeah. Holly! Hi, Puddin! You're just in time to see the... (laughs) Excuse me, I'll be just a minute. Feels like they're trying to lighten the mood... Because they're aware that it's right. a Saturday morning cartoon. So we're trying to... Oh, no, he didn't really hurt her. Everything's fine. He's still kind of laughing. But that actually makes it ten times worse. Right. That's the thing that, like, the censors give a thumb thumbs up after, like, cool, okay, you just hit somebody. Cool, great, great Joker joke. But in context, it's so gross. Yeah, like, oh, he doesn't even care about her. No, he's just like, hold on, this is a minor inconvenience between you and I fighting each other like we always do. Sorry, my dumb thing got in the way, <laughs> yeah. Batman. You know, that girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's it's rough. 
over the edge in the sec in this season. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh! Uh, oh yeah, I remember uh, watching that one again Saturday on a Saturday morning and being like, "What is happening?" She right just now? fell off a building and hit her dad's car, his windshield. Oh yeah, that's why I love this show so much. Is it's like this is not. A Saturday morning cartoon. Right, sure. You have your chemistries or whatever, like, episodes that are kind of forgettable from this season, but, like, right. these episodes... <laughs> There's some, And I feel like they then take some of the same kind of tone. Are they doing this now at the same time as they were doing the Superman show? Yeah, so, like, once they rebooted this, it was, like, Batman Superman Adventures. Mm-hmm. So they had, like, World's Finest kicked it off. Right. That crossover. Yeah. Because I remember there are some Superman episodes that have similarly, like painfully hard emotional impact stuff like the whole the big uh dark side fight where he sort of destroys everybody on earth yeah he... turpin's death in oh that my series. it's really upsetting so sad it's really upsetting. for a guy that was a pretty minor character in right. that show and then like he kind of has his heyday mm-hmm. in that two-parter i think it was like apocalypse now yeah that's what it is yeah Spelled like the planet right <laughs> oh yeah it's so good and like and that it's dark side sort of like last stab, like as the portal is closing. Yeah. He's just like, oh yeah, and by the way, go fuck yourself. Yeah. It's <laughs> really. Yeah, it ends in a traditional Jewish funeral. Oh, and then, like, and, and again, talking about like background characters, isn't it like everybody who worked on the show are in there somewhere? Oh, too? I didn't know that. I think. I mean, I, I'm not surprised because it almost was like a in memory of Kirby too. Yeah, that's. Right? I feel like a number. I don't think everybody, but I think a number of people at the funeral are people who worked on the show and maybe people who also worked with Jack Kirby. Yeah, it's one of those kind of like, like like the Fantastic Four's wedding. Like freeze the picture and spot all the the Easter eggs. Um, was there anything else? Let's see. We. I mean, I know we've jumped around a lot. It's such a good episode. Animation is great. Yeah. I, I always like it when you, on the podcast, when you sort of point out and say which studio did which. Yeah. I find that, and it's interesting because as soon as you say certain ones, I'm like, yes, of course, because I remember... Especially with the earlier episodes, thinking the animation looks pretty shaky on, on a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But like that's one of the things I like about the new Batman Adventures is that because it's stylized, I feel like in general, the quality of the animation is... It was easy to be consistent, at least. Mm-hmm. Cleaner lines, for sure. I remember this looking so new when they came out, and now they're like flex of... Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, well, you feel like you can tell it's a physical piece of film that's getting photographed. Yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts? About Mad Love, before we wrap it up. Uh, it's great. Um, they're all on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Are they going to come out on Blu-ray ever? I don't do know. I, think? I don't think there's anything quality-wise that I would necessarily No, change. but I would, yeah, I mean, I just that's what every time I see a Blu-ray, I'm like, is there a new four-hour documentary? Well, you're doing the Lord's work here, Justin. Maybe put this on the, put this on the Blu-ray, you sons of bitches. I shouldn't call them sons of bitches. No, I mean, you've also spoken the most highly about the show, so I think they know. Okay, yeah. I love (laughs) your show. Good job. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing it. I'm a big fan, by the way. This is a great podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. Man, Chris and I could have talked for hours. Uh, We did spend a good 20 more minutes just hanging out and talking DC Animated Universe stuff after we turned off the mic, so I have a feeling he will be back on the show down the line. So before we move on to our next interview, first, a brief interlude with... Justin's mom. That's right, my mom helped me kick off the first episode by playing the title card game, so I figured it would only be appropriate to play it again at this anniversary. But since this episode has no title card, we played The Origin Game, which quite frankly just turns more into a conversation. 
Okay, so here we are. Hello. One year later. This is the anniversary episode. Happy anniversary. Thank you. That's my mom. So I figured it would be appropriate to kind of uh, re-up on things since you first came on the podcast. I love it. I think it is traditional. What does that mean? I think it should be a tradition once a year or... Certainly, we can do it more frequently. Right. You you said that your biggest problem with the podcast is that you're not involved in every single episode. Not so much involved as far as recording, but I do like hearing you talking about when you were small and referring back to myself and your sister and all of the Batman stuff that we did let's talk for a second i want to talk to you about mad love which is the episode that this this episode is about which is the origin of harley quinn ah i want you to try to tell me and maybe you'll know what is the origin of harley quinn to the best of your memory well i believe that harley quinn is a psychiatrist or a psychologist who had been working in that field and somehow became involved with the Joker and went a little bananas. <laughs> bananas? <laughs> yes. Uh, wait, that's way more than I expected you to remember. D- be honest, did you research this before we talked? I had no idea we were talking about Harley Quinn. So that was just off the top of your head. Yeah. Can you hazard a guess as to what what happened? Why she became went from psychiatrist to villain? I can guess. I don't know if she worked at Arkham Asylum. She did. Yeah, and perhaps met the Joker. And I'm not exactly sure why. Give me your top three reasons why. Uh, she was already kind of imbalanced. One. All right. She really fell for the Joker. He's a charming guy when he wants to be. Two. And she just had that in her. She was ready for a change. Three. Looking for a life change. Okay, so what is the answer? I think you're probably right about all three. Maybe the first two more than the third, but uh, yeah. So let me ask you this. Going into my second year of this podcast, do you have any advice? Okay. I do have some advice. Okay, great. I think you're having a great time with the beginning guests. Sometimes it feels a little bit long until we get to the actual people who have worked on the show, which for me is very interesting. I think I would cut that that down a little bit. Let's see. So shorter? You, 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 I think the... the right bi- now you're part of that problem to other listeners. Well, if they don't like the non-Batman people stuff, then I didn't say that I don't like it. I hear you. But sometimes it goes on for approximately half of the podcast. You are right. I don't believe my portion will be half of the podcast. No. If that's the case in this scenario, I give it two thumbs up. <laughs> I didn't know we were rating <laughs> things. Okay. Any other advice moving forward? Yes. I would have me on the show more, even if it were just a small amount. Okay, I promise you that by the next anniversary, (laughs) 
you will have at least double the appearances as the last year. Can we negotiate? I We can maybe do that off mic. Oh, okay. Well, any anything else you want to say to the, the, the listeners, the, the many, many fans of Batman the Animated Series? You have This is your opportunity. Oh, okay. Well, as far as Batman the Animated Series is concerned, I am such a huge fan. I believe it is so well written, so well done. Everything, it, it's not really a quote-unquote kid show. It's smart. It's intelligent. It's creative. Anything else you would like to know from me? I think we're good. (laughs) All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye, Jess. I love you. We're we're not leaving. We're staying here. Oh, okay. All right. Let's move on to the main event. Today's guest. You know who Paul Dini is, but if you didn't, he wrote today's episode, created Harley Quinn. If you're new to the show, he has appeared a number of times on my podcast, and just look it up. He always has really wonderful, insightful, great things to say. Arlene Sorkin is new to the show. She is a voice actor, comedian, and real-life friends with Paul Dini. She is also, surprise, surprise, the voice of Harley Quinn across almost every iteration imaginable, originating the role that will soon be brought to the big screen in Suicide Squad. It's a character partly based off of Arlene, so it was kind of surreal to talk with her. It was a short and sweet interview from her home, and we spoke over the phone along with Paul on the line. Hello, how's it going? Who's this? This is Justin Michael, I'm sorry. Oh, Justin, hi. Hi, there's Paul Beanie's here, too. I'm here. I'll just be listening, um, because you've had me enough on the show, but if you, you know, so let Arlene talk this time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, feel free to chime in if you have have anything, if you want to, but uh, whatever works. Okay. Uh, Can you hear me okay? You sound great. (laughs) All right, good. Thank you so much for talking with me. My pleasure. First of all, like, how did you get involved with the the show? I know you and Paul well, were friends. Paul Dini and I went to college together at Emerson in, in Boston, and it was he was homesick one day, right? Paul? Yep. Yeah. He was homesick, and he saw me on Days of Our Lives, and I was playing a court jester uh, as a as a like a tribute to. Uh, I, no, I know what it was. It was in a fantasy scene. Yeah, I like came in. I came into work and I said, "Why don't we on days do a takeoff on Princess Bride?" And so the next day, all you know, I don't know when it happened. A couple of days later, we were all dressed up as characters, and I was a court jester, and Paul was home, and he said, "Thank God, he had a day off from work, and he saw it, and he came up with the idea." Of, of Harley Quinn. That was a lucky day for me. Yeah, it was great. I mean, Calliope Jones, was that the name of the character? Yeah, that was Calliope's, yeah. There's a video online uh, that I've seen, and it's it's amazing how similar it is to what Harley became. It's really cool. I, and, you know, I still have those those pants with the moon on them. I had to shoot the moon, and I, I mooned him. Yeah. And it, and I have them. I want to auction them off for for some charity. I don't know what. There are some cosplayer out there who will buy them. They'll they'll mortgage their house to 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 have 
the original a, Harley. And I have a picture of me that day, dressed as a court jester. Those fans can know that it's out there if they want to, you know, bet on it. That's amazing. How did you guys, I, I want to know a little bit about your friendship with each other. Like, how did you guys first become friends in, in school? Well, we went to Emerson around the same time, but I don't think we interacted much, if, if at all. It was mostly afterwards, like, people from Emerson tend to drift together. And it'll be like a year or two later, you'll run into somebody at a party, like, oh, I remember you. You're the guy who used to sit on the wall and sing songs in front of Beacon Street. Right. There, there used to be at Emerson a wall that everybody hung out on. It doesn't exist anymore because they, they moved to campus. Mm. And, of course, I was heartbroken that they were moving, but they probably got very good money for that real estate in Back Bay, Boston. Yeah. And, uh, and you know... That that wall was, probably was where we met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so many people around that time, like Dennis Leary and, uh, 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 well, Jay Leno was some years before that, but uh, uh, our, our friend Eddie Gordetsky, who's now a producer, who created the show Mom. You know, a lot of a lot of folks who came out of there was really had flourishing careers in comedy, both uh, before, in front of, and in back of the camera, and. Um, uh, Harvard has Stephen Wright. Yes, the comedian. He's from Emerson. He was went there when I was there. So, oh man, what did you, so you guys Lampoon study? Harvard has their funny writers, but Emerson is more like a little, you know, strike force of wacky comedy guys on the other side of the river. I do feel like Emerson is like a hub of comedy breeding ground still. Like, yeah. it's, so many people come out of there. What did you guys study at Emerson? I mean, I studied. I must have studied something. I, I was a theater education major, <laughs> so I uh, I studied a little bit occasionally. I threw in a couple minutes of study. And uh, what did you study, Paul? Poorly. I, well, that's how I studied. I, I I studied creative writing. I actually had a really great creative writing teacher. His name is Tim O'Brien, and he he won the National Book Award back in the seventies for. A book called Going After Cacciato. I was going to say, I love that book. I read that yeah, in high school. Yeah, he was a wonderful, wonderful teacher. He's the one teacher that I, that I, you know, there were there were some really good ones, and there was a there was a guy Charles Dillaway who taught a class in comedy, and he was he was terrific. Um, I remember sleeping late through biology class because it started way too early and it was way too snowy to walk up Beacon Street, uh-huh. and I was in danger of failing the class and getting my first F. And then I went over to, a friend of mine was over at Harvard, so I went over and snuck into zoology classes at Harvard and into their zoology museum, and I wound up writing a paper on obscure marsupials and got an A. <laughs> so that's how that's how you can sleaze through biology class and never show up and still get a passing grade. Yeah, just write about marsupials. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so after college, uh, Arlene, wh- how did you get into professional acting? How did you get into Days of Our Lives? And My my. You know, my last semester at Emerson, I, I did I did a play, I can't remember which one, and the head of the department came up to me and said, and I said, he said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to, after I graduate, I'm going to go to France for six months, and I'm going to, you know, look, just travel. And he said to me, go to New York and and give it six months. If you don't, nothing happens for you, then then give up. And I th- and I thought you know he probably he went to every person in the play and said the same things. But I said, ah, oh, he sees something in me. And so I went to New York, and I sure enough I got a job within six months. So I stayed. 
Uh, Didn't you start a comedy group called the High Heel Ladies? Yeah, yeah, I was with a group called the High Woman, and some of them were Emersonians, you know, Mary Fulham and Lisa Passero, and, you know, so I, I did that for a long time, you know, many years. And then I, when my partner got pregnant, I came out to, to L.A., and I got the job right away on Test for Lives. Oh, man, that's amazing. So what was yeah. your comedy background like? What's your What were your influences, or what did you love? Oh, God. I mean, I loved, I loved everything Paul loved, probably. Because Paul, I, mean, I loved Woody Allen's stuff. I loved, um, you know, I was, I, I, actually, if you, if you have to look at Harley Quinn, Judy Holliday was a big influence. And the, the, the girl who played the original um, in, in uh, The Guys and Dolls that played the original Adelaide, I, I was inspired by her. I was inspired probably. Then when I was in New York, I was asked to audition for uh, Little Shop of Horrors, and I thought that, you know... Um, for Audrey? Yeah, for Audrey. Oh, you'd and, be perfect. In fact, <laughs> they sent me to uh, take lessons with... I think her name was Marge Revingston, the singing teacher. I could be wrong, but... Was it Marnie Nixon? I think it was Marge Revingston. Oh, okay. I don't know if I'm right, so don't quote me anybody, mm. but... Uh, <laughs> Oh man, that that's my dream. You playing Audrey, honestly, that combines mm. two of my favorite things. <laughs> uh, well, I hope. I uh, I wish I could have sang suddenly, 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 suddenly. Yeah, I wasn't good at that one, but I was good at some. Uh, and then when I when I you know had children, my first child, I'm singing to him somewhere the scream while he's trying to fall asleep, Eli. And I, <laughs> I remember thinking, this is the reason that I was up for that part. I must have had like over 10 callbacks for it. Oh, that's and amazing. this must have been the reason that I learned the song so that I could sing it to my... And then at that moment that my baby reached up and covered my mouth, like, please don't kill me with the song. And he, I thought it was so beautiful, but <laughs> I was wrong. So, but, uh, you know... I, I feel like everything that happened, you know, in my career, you know, my brilliant career, it happened at the right time and for the right reasons. And then when I decided to become a writer, is where I met my husband. I've read that you wrote on Tiny Tunes. What, what? Yeah, I did. Right. Yeah, good. Thanks to Paul Dini. That's fantastic. You and Milstein wrote, wrote a few episodes. What right. was your experience no, writing? I mean, I, you, it's yeah. so cool that you got to do both ends of things. Yeah, no, I mean, I really, everything I wanted to do, I got to do. You know, I wanted to create a TV series, I did. And it was on NBC, I wanted to write a movie, I did. You know, everything I wanted to do, I got to do and try. And, and not, you know, I'm very, very grateful for all of it, you know. So. Well, maybe walk me through how you guys got, how you got involved with the show be playing Harley Quinn. I know that Paul, you know, saw you on this Days of Our Lives segment that inspired Harley Quinn. Right. Yeah. And what what had happened was I um, I was actually not even I was working at home a lot then because I had taken my my deal had come up and I had taken time off to write a movie. So uh, Alan Burnett had taken over the writing on the show, and we had actually never met. And he called me in and he said. I've taken over the writing on Batman. I'd sure like to have you involved. Um, would you, uh, 
freelance a few episodes? And I said, sure. So when I wrote the episode Joker's Favor, I was thinking it would be fun to put in a female hench person for the Joker to, you know, interact with. And then I somehow got the idea that she should be funny because the Joker is always looking for approval from his guys. And if he doesn't get it, he usually throws one under a bus. And then I thought, well, it might be funny if the girl in the group gets the laugh and that makes the Joker really angry. Not so angry that he's going to kill her, but it's just, you don't often see the Joker, you know, one-upped. And I put it in and everybody seemed to like it. And then they said, who do you think for this uh, Harley Quinn character? And I suggested Arlene because, you know, I had been, I watched her on TV and I thought it all sort of came together around that time. And I thought, well, um, you know, how about Arlene? It's just sort of the inspiration for the character. She has that personality. I think of her as sort of Harley as sort of a peppy, upbeat, Judy, uh, holiday type. And so Andrea Romano was up for it and they had never worked together, but Arlene came in to uh, do the recording and, and everybody just realized she hit it out of the park and the character became very funny and very unlike anything in batman at that time yeah that's what i love so much is that you bring arlene so much warmth and like uh, you know funny to a show that's so dour and, and and dark a lot of the time that it and i feel like that's this character you know is is huge because of both of you but like you bring so much lovability to it <laughs> drive me to recording sessions on the way back during the riots. I was singing, what song did I, what song did I sing in the show? Um, oh, it was, oh, Amazing Grace. No, 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 or, no, no. I sang, um, oh, say that we're Kate, Kate, which was an old song, and I was singing to him in the car to try to get his mind off of the fact that we were in the middle of a disaster. Yeah. So this is during the L.A. riots? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, we're, and I sang it in the car, and next thing I know, Paul wrote it into the show. Oh, yeah. So- that's wonderful. Because I think you were using it as an audition song, and I go... I, I was just saying it to, oh, okay. to, to, to calm you down. That's right, that's you right. Very... You know, L.A. was burning around us, so yeah. and we're going to a recording, and and I think at the end of the day, I had to drop you somewhere, like yeah, at CBS, I, I, and the door yeah, was locked. Yeah, CBS, they were making my, my show into a pilot. I wrote a show, and it was, you know... And it, when he dropped me off in CBS, it was locked up. They, everything closed down during the riots. They got, people were scared and ran home. Oh, yeah. man. And Paul and I were on the road. Yeah. I remember, like, uh, we were recording at Soundcastle that day over in, um, uh, near uh, uh, Hyperion. And uh, as we were coming back, there was a guy crossing in front of us, pulling, pushing one uh, shopping cart full of swag and then pulling another one. And I just thought, that's it. It's the end of civilization as we know it. And I think that's when you started singing. Yeah. So it's like, what else are we going to do? He, he actually looked, you looked very scared to me. I was scared. I was terrified. Right. I, I, I wasn't smart enough to be panicked about it. But, <laughs> but then I, I, I dropped you at CBS, and then I went home and packed, because I thought, I'm getting out of town. I'm going to Carmel, where my family is. And I think there was a message when I got home from your mom who said, Paul, have you seen Arlene? Uh, we can't find her. And then it came down like, I, I dropped you at CBS, and I, th- I think you called Chris, and he came and picked you up. But for a while, I was going like, oh, God. Yeah, it was it was very scary time. But and that we song made it, it Paul and I. Yeah. into what, Harlequinade? Was that the episode where you sing that? I'm trying to remember. Uh, it was Say That We're 
Sweethearts. Uh, yeah, I wrote it in later, but the episode we were recording that day was the man who killed Batman. Oh, cool. Because you also had your kazoo with you, and you were you were humming the the uh, the, the song on the kazoo as we were driving too. Which I've heard is like one of the. I think I heard somewhere that that take in the studio was like recorded once like you were cracking everybody up with that yeah. fake kazooing yeah no she had a real kazoo and she did it in one take yeah um, <laughs> that's amazing um yeah I, so how did you develop harley quinn arlene like how did you like settle into being her was it a lot of just bringing yourself to the role i just you know i i felt very um you know it, it, for an actor if you feel like what you're doing is appreciated you you feel very free and I was very free and I knew I had Paul's you know thumbs up for no matter what the heck I did and it was you know I just felt very comfortable so it was easy for me to do it do you remember the first time that you uh played the character what the reaction was or what the studio was like I mean everybody was reacting so positively and I was and I everybody like Mark Hamill everyone was so nice to me and so I I felt very comfortable right away, you know, you know, very accepted. And I really didn't have any experience. I'd done, you know, lots of commercials, voiceover commercials, but I really hadn't done animation. So it was, now it was near Andrea really made me comfortable. In fact, it was Andrea who said to me, I mean, after I did it for how many years, she says, well, you can't keep doing it for scale. You gotta gotta get a raise. <laughs> if you don't ask for it, they're not gonna give it to you. And I, that's funny. I mean, I was, I, I almost felt like I should get money back every time because I enjoyed it so much. But um, you know, and, and Paul, he won't say it, but he, he hired all of my friends. He hired uh, my Dana Delaney to play what? Lois Lane. And, Lois oh, Lane. No. I mean, hired many of my friends to play. Uh, Perry Gilpin was in it. Yeah, she played uh, Volcana on Superman. Oh, cool. Uh, Allison LaPlaca was in it as Baby Doll. Right, yeah. and then and Tim Daly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Tim Daly, you know, played Superman. Superman, yeah, yeah. exactly. So uh, he's, he's, he's been supportive of me and supportive of my friends. That's so best. cool. That's part well, of it, though. It's kind of like, yeah, we, we, we sort of uh, became friends, and that sort of, you know, opened up you know, the, the circle of, of actors, because they all said, hey, Arlene's having a lot of fun here. And, and then, so, you know, so we started calling a bunch of other folks, and they were all wonderful for the, uh, for the job, and uh, they, you know, they were all terrific. I love hearing that. I think that's such a cool thing that you get to, like, invite and, you know, work with people that you just like as people. Like, I feel like that's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, well, that's, like, the best thing. You just want to work with people you love, and they happen to be talented. <laughs> well, I'm... Andrea is very open to new ideas and casting. She has a, a stable of, of folks who are, you know, terrific that she's worked with for years and who I, I love working with all the time, but she's always open to calling just about everybody. And then when they come in, she makes them feel so at home. They, they all say, oh, I can't wait yeah, to come she, back. She really made me feel comfortable, you know, and the way she directs is so unusual. I mean, it's, I think, maybe it's not, it's maybe common, but she... It was very, for me, it was the best way for me to be introduced to that world. Is she still doing it, Paul? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't talked to her in a while, so uh, I'm, I'm really not sure what's up uh, uh, these days. I mean, for me, you know, I was there when they 
when uh, Paul was there when they when Warner Brothers went down. I mean, it was horrible to see so many people unemployed and right. What uh, the, the Warner Brothers? You know that whole building. Oh yeah, it did go through a shift in like uh, the early two thousands where. Um, they a lot of a lot of things changed. A lot of people left, and uh, a lot of the shows changed. The business changed at that time too, because they weren't buying shows like the like the Fox Afternoon anymore. Right. And uh, and we uh, Kids WB came up, and that was you know it, it went through a metamorphosis, and uh, a lot of people left around that time, and and, uh, and I, I they didn't leave on purpose, though, right? <laughs> No, it was a business change. It, it was so sad for me. Now here, you know, I would come in, and I'd see so many great people unemployed and being having to leave, and and then the wholesale thing ended. Oh yeah. People wanted, you know. Oh, the the studio store and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah that was that came around. Yeah, that that happened. Uh, like suddenly, I think it was the AOL merger. One of the things to fall by the wayside was the studio store. And Which I loved had, as a kid. I was like, this is the place where I can get uh, all the stuff that I love. <laughs> yeah. They had a huge warehouse. They had a huge facility where they were, you're right, Arlene, they, were, they would have people in the sign cells and comic books and do original sculptures. And they were going to a lot of the artists to create these, you know, really terrific works of art. And then the AOL merger happened and suddenly, okay. We're going to get rid of the stores. Yeah, and there was a store in New York that I, that I was there for hours studying of uh, Harley Quinn maquette, sort of. Yeah. Anyway, so, you know, people were lined up to get me to sign them, and, and I, I turned one over and knocked his ears off. And, <laughs> and the guy, it was like I knocked his ears off. He, I mean, I could not comfort him. I said, I'll get you another one. No, no, I I came early so I could pick that one. That's the best one. I said, they're both the same. What are you crazy? <laughs> and, but he he wouldn't hear of it. It was he I killed the best Harley Quinn in the in the crowd. And he and no matter what I did, no matter what I said, no matter you know, I couldn't make it right. Well, Cut to you wearing the suit, standing in the guy's apartment, yeah. you know, on a stand. Are you happy now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, you <laughs> broke the one I wanted. <laughs> you went, right, exactly. Uh, I'm sure you get so many people, you know, so many fans. Are there any, like, specific stories you remember of, like, a particular fan or that's, like, just, like, kind of an unusual or crazy story that you've interacted with somebody who, like, they may have been nice, but, like, is just memorable? Well, but- Really, the most memorable thing was when I went to Comic Con and there was a girl walking around and she said, she looked, whatever. She wrote on her t shirt and said, You're just jealous because the voices talk to me. And I thought that was such a brilliant, brilliant t shirt for her. <laughs> I mean, obviously, she was, she danced to the beat of a different drum, whatever. But she, I mean, there were so many great moments that I've had you know, with that whole world that I didn't know. I mean, I knew the soap opera fans, but I never knew the, the cartoon fans until I went to Comic-Con and I got to see it. And, you know, I, I have nothing but respect for them. I mean, you know, anybody that really collects something and, you know, really does a good job of it. Like, I started a website called comesymystuff.com for people 
that collect things. So I have nothing but respect for people that collect things. I know that Paul was your, your wife told you to get rid of some of it, right? Yeah, yeah, get rid of all my stuff. Right. <laughs> so. But I, you know, I, I think it's great. You know, someone who really is very judicious about what they collect, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I have nothing but respect for them. You know. I, well, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, Mad Love and like kind of the transition from Harley Quinn being, you know, mostly a comedic character to like really a deep and probably one of the richest characters in this show. And, you know, afterwards, like as a result of that in comics, like I really, truly love that episode. And, and I know it was spun out from a comic that Paul, you and, and Bruce Tim co-wrote, uh, co-created together uh, back like... What, in 94? 93. 93, okay. Yeah, what happened was uh, I had, um, uh, it it came at a really interesting point in my life where I was just coming back uh, from the the studio full time and uh, I had a a rather um, terrible violent incident, which we can talk about at some other point. But I was sort of settling back into, into, into working on a regular basis again and um, we'd always had a very, very good relationship with DC Comics. They had been nothing but supportive of us uh, from the get-go. The second they saw Bruce Tim and Eric Radomski's vision for what Batman could be, they said, oh, this looks so cool. And they liked the scripts coming in. They liked the, the, the designs. So at that time, um, I believe it was Paul Levitz and Denny O'Neill, who uh, you know we dealt with fairly uh, regularly at that point, they said, if you ever want to do something like a special issue in the style of the show, we'd love to do it. So Bruce and I got to talking about it, and because Harley had, had kind of taken off, we thought, what if we really explore this character? So we went to lunch a couple of times, and we really hammered out who she was and where she had come from, because, you know, we we had cavalierly referred to her a few times. She didn't have an origin. Like, she might have been a beauty school dropout. She might have been just sort of a hench girl or something. And then we hit on the idea, like... What if there's a darker secret? Like, what if she was the Joker's doctor and he kind of broke her and put her back together the way he wanted her? And once we hit on that, it's like, oh, that's scary and dark. Let's do that. Yeah, so, I really love it. I, I mean, I was on a show called Duet at the time, and I had pitched to the creators of that show that Harley got, not Harley, was my character's name was Geneva, got, mm-hmm. got, you know, accidentally shoplifted, and I told it to Paul, and he's and the, the creators of Duet said, you know, "Look at me like I was insane," and Paul said, "I can make something out of that." Oh yeah, that was Harlequinade. Yeah, this, the, where where Harley accidentally walks off with a dress and sets off an alarm, and she doesn't mean to steal it, but it it uh, it just uh, sets in, in motion a chain of events. That was like a screwball comedy. Yeah, uh, which I loved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think you and I talked about that a little bit uh, in another episode. Yeah, I mean, that was the, the fun of doing a, a show with, that had a big run of 65 episodes and then kept getting renewed and renewed is that the richness of the characters allows for you to take, you know, you can leave Batman for a while as the center of an episode and then do your Two-Face story or your Penguin story or, in this case, your Harley story because you go back to the, the, the villain characters and they've evolved a little bit because, okay, I haven't written Poison Ivy in about a year where she at at this point in her life. And then you can go in and when that is all viewed together in the scope of, I think, about, I don't know how many episodes we did, 110 episodes, you do see an evolution of the characters and, and it makes for an overall richness of, 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 the, of the series. 
Arlene, I don't know, you know. I'm not sure how much you remember one episode from the next. I'm sure they all kind of blur together a little bit. But do you remember uh, getting this episode? This is such a like you do such a great job. I think digging into this character and giving Harley so many shades of like you know betrayal and sadness and and power and and still remaining funny. Mm, well, thank you. And they don't. I mean, they don't completely just blend into each other. I mean, I. I had I have fond memories and you know of all of them. I'm not kidding. Every one of them was was was. I thought it was well written, and you know, I I I read nothing but confidence in the material, which is great. You know, I didn't feel like I had to you know improvise or change lines or you know. I I just got you know it was really well done. So I I had fun with the material that was written, and and I. So appreciated it. So, you know, I, I don't know. Can I answer your question? I don't know. No, that's fine. <laughs> I, I think you were so great. Well, thank you. You've, you're making my day. <laughs> well, uh, I think you've made a lot of people's days. I, I think. Uh, I mean, we we had such a tremendous cast, and at that point. Oh my God! To watch the actors was was sometimes I would be so in awe of them I would forget to pick up my lines. <laughs> I mean, to watch Mark Hamill standing and doing this, I thought he was the best actor I ever worked with. I'm sorry to everyone else, but he he really he was to watch him was mesmerizing, mm-hmm. you know. And I I I I really would. We, you know, all of them, you know, everyone that worked, you know, the, that everyone that works on the show was really, really incredible to watch them act. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I just worked, I worked with Mark on on something recently, uh, just a couple of months ago, and he and he comes in, and, it, and you know, it's great to see him, and you know, I run into him a lot, and then he go, comes in, stands at the mic, and he goes into the Joker voice, and it's like, oh, here we go. Uh, it feels so right, like like you know, slipping into that old sweatshirt you love wearing and everything. Everything feels comfortable. It feels right, and it's and and yet at the same time a surprise because you know when he's reading through the lines and he and he gives it that wonderful inflection and everything, and then you know you're going back and forth in the booth and suddenly somebody gets an idea, let's play it this way, and then everybody laughs and or everybody gasps and and it's like oh it it's all new again. It, it's terrific. What was your experience like, Arlene, working with with Mark? Like, well, I know you loved watching it, but like, did you have any stories from like you two together? Like, were there any bits or jokes that you guys had? Um, I knew Mark before the show. Oh, because my ex ex, I don't know which which number, one of my boyfriends was had worked on Star Wars, and so he knew Mark and Carrie Fisher and. And, and and he had t- actually. I have some memorabilia that people would die if they knew I had it. Oh, what is it? I'm not telling. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's the Hut Slayer Leia bikini. I, no, it's not. No. I actually used to have the the blue like snowsuit of Carrie's, but I don't even know where it is. Anymore. Oh, that's cool. Were you were you interested in like cartoons and comics and and that kind of stuff growing up, or did it kind of evolve once you started working on them? Um, you know, I I, I became interested. Um, you know, I, uh... I I have one. I, if I may, I have one funny story about uh, about Mark and Arlene that, oh, I, yeah. that I love, and it was a, a kind of a it was an after hour story where Mark had 
was it Mark or Andrea? They, I think Mark had a party over at his house, or he had some people over, and Andrea was there, and um, and Arlene, you were there, and your and your and the boys were there, and I remember Eli and Owen were there, and we were all having dinner, and Andrea had brought um, some glow sticks for the kids to play with, and we're all sitting around talking and, and chatting, and I think Eli has a glow stick, or, or Owen has a glow stick, and he's kind of dueling with Mark with the glow sticks. Oh, we're my talking, God. And then I say to, to, to Owen, go for the wrist, it's his weak spot. And he hits him on the wrist, and Mark goes, ah, drops <laughs> the glow stick. And I said, I'm sorry, I just had to. And we all laughed at it, and it was like, oh, God, what a geek moment. But it was it was fun. Oh, yeah, I mean, you got Luke there, why not? I, you even uh, worked... Into Mad Love, what, there's that May the Floss Be With You line, which is just such a wonderful <laughs> everything in one. <laughs> you can't escape it. It's amazing. Mark married the greatest woman, Mary Lou. Yes. Mm-hmm. She is just the best. I mean, I say I'm, I'm more in touch with her than Mark, even. You know, I, I, I love her so much. And she, I think she's, does she manage him? I think so. Well, she orchestrates his day and make sure he's he's where he needs to be and everything I, I, they're over in london now and i and I, but i'm pretty sure you know she's over there with him and the whole probably the whole family's over there yeah oh that's so cool yeah i, yeah, I did i did a for, for some of dc comics i proposed to his at the time fiance or girlfriend it was him but fiance and i can't and she, i spoke to him on the phone i can't think of who that was i told Call to help me. Oh, I don't, I don't remember either. So if 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 someone is out there and Arlene proposed to them for their boyfriend, give us a call because we'd, <laughs> we'd like to fill that. It was someone at DC Comics, and I'm and I'm blanking on who. I'm sorry. That's all right. That's well, it. But I I have brain fog, so I'm allowed to forget. Yeah, we'll we'll broadcast that message out, and if they hear please it, please do. I wanna <laughs> I wanna speak to him again. Please, please, please. Okay. Yeah, of course. All right. And thank you. And if I think of something, I will call you back. And uh, hello to all the people that listen to your show from Paul and me, right? Yes. Okay. Guys, you think that we'd be done, but we're not, because guess what? I've got one last segment coming up, and it is a piece that directly involved input from the listeners of this show. But first, a quick announcement. Going into the new year, I'm going to bring you as much new content as humanly possible. But this kind of work takes a lot of time and money. So starting now, you can support the show by donating on Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, it's an internet service that allows folks like you to donate however much you want on a monthly basis to keep things going. And in return, I've got some really cool rewards for you, including stickers, exclusive access to content, getting the opportunity to ask guests questions ahead of time, appearances on the show, vintage Batman merchandise from the animated series, and more. Any amount will help, whether it's $1 or $5 or $200,000 because you're a rich oil tycoon who also happens to love Batman the Animated Series and podcasts. You can still donate the old-fashioned way by PayPaling BTASpodcast at gmail.com, but why not get in on that Patreon train while it's a-rollin', right? Also, anybody who has already donated to the show will be sent a show sticker regardless. Go to patreon.com slash BTASpodcast for more info. Okay, enough about how you can help me. Let me showcase you. 
So last episode, you might remember, I asked the listeners of the show to send me tweets about their favorite episodes and memories from Batman the Animated Series to celebrate the anniversary. You guys have really made this show worth making every other week. So I really wanted to show you guys my thanks, and I enlisted the help of resident musician for the show, Casey Trela, also a member of the band Tuft, to not just read off your tweets, but put them to song. Guys, thank you so much. Take it away, Casey. There's a person out there named J.O. Twitter handle, I'm gonna DJ24. Broke the rules and used two tweets. One tweet couldn't hold all the deets. Fave BTAS memories. 20 plus years later, my best friend from high school and I still work so many obscure lines into everyday conversation, mostly from Riddler Epps. But even a random quote from the mechanic has been ingrained in our speech for ages. Jason LeBlanc at GPLRFTB. What does that Twitter handle mean? No one knows. Favorite at Clock King, Kevin Altieri, and David Wise turn a second rate Green Arrow bad guy into a real threat for Batman. That's talent. That's talent. Bro Demeron at T3KOTF. When I learned BTAS was on DVD, I drove to Best Buy back. To my dorm, rounded up friends and said, We're watching Almost Got Him. That's all he said, and they knew what he meant. That's all he said, and they got him. Anthony Composto at the Great Ace. Fun memories, wearing out these tapes. So many favorites, but if you're so smart, always stuck with me. Steven Scott at Scott Duvall You know you're a dummy if read my lips Isn't one of your top five episodes That is a solid pun Philip Montez at Philip Montez Favorite episode, world's finest Philip Montez at Philip Montez Favorite episode, world's finest Philip Mortez, Philip Mortez, favorite episode, world's finest. Philip Mortez, world's finest. Marty Quinn, exclamation point, at Marty underscore Quinn. What is reality? Set me on an embarrassing riddle, obsessed phase in middle school. Well, that and the Hobbit, Luke Mears, at Serum Lake. To mark BTAS podcast one year anniversary, fans have been asked to tweet why they love BTAS so much. I'm not sure I can do that in just one tweet. But Luke, you should have tried. Luke, you should have tried. Luke, you should have tried to sum it up in one tweet. Sean Westergren at Blackstar3500. My favorite ep has to be the first cat Women, I just love the triangle Between two people and we get to see a side of him We don't see Now we've come down to the final tweet It's from Casson Pilliard I don't have 
have a Twitter account. I'm resisting for as long as possible, so I hope you'll consider this my 144 character limited submission of listener content. Best BTAS memory. Kevin Conroy requesting I make custom figures of him as gifts for his family. Best BTAS memory. Kevin Conroy requesting I make custom figures of him as gifts for his family. Happy anniversary. Well, there you have it, Casey Trila bringing some real heart to a silly bit. Thank you guys for sharing and listening to the show. Please keep reaching out. If you want to get in touch, you can reach me on Twitter at BTAS Podcast or at Hey Justin. You can email the show at BTAS Podcast at gmail.com. Find more at www.BTASPodcast.com. And please subscribe and rate and comment in iTunes. It really does help me out. And uh, yeah, you can find the show on Stitcher and SoundCloud as well. All right, guys, thanks for listening. That's a wrap on the anniversary episode. Please check out the Patreon page if you're so inclined. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song, as well as today's fan song. Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast, and Jace Armstrong will forever be Kevin Conroybot. Thank you to my guests, Arlene Sorkin, Paul Dini, Chris Tallman, my mom, and Marissa Strickland, Chris, and Jace for also playing a part in the commercial Police Blimps Ultra. Thank you to Pat Jansen and Whitney Lovell and Blair Gorman over at Stupid Buddy Studios for helping me engineer the interview with Arlene. And lastly, thank you to This American Life producer Tori Malatia, who surprised me in a revealing teddy during last night's editing sesh, hopping up on the table, getting on all fours and saying, Don't you want to rev up your Harley? Vroom, vroom! That's right, guys. Tori went above and beyond for the anniversary episode and bought me a brand new Harley Davidson. Sorry, guys, but I'm a motorcycle dude now. All right, guys. See you in a couple weeks for a new Batman the Animated Podcast. Bye-bye.